Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And that's just going to be my intro from now on because nobody Way needs to know anything else. Yes. Totally. Love um, today we're going to discuss a subject that was essentially the biggest crime of last year and in part sparked the Me Too moment. A lot of this started when Republican nominee for president was revealed to have said that he can do anything to a woman when you're famous. Grab them by the pussy. It was the biggest biggest news story of the election cycle. Hillary used it in attack ads, but he was still elected. Groping was having its moment and not like a queer eye, like a moment. But not like, yeah, hair blowing in the wind <laughs> moment. <laughs> like a, a, a bad moment. So we're going to learn that in the criminal realm, while the motivations for groping are different than rape, it can be a precursor to rape and sexually motivated murder. Now, in doing research for this episode, I read a ton of stories on serial groping attacks. So take a listen to just some of the headlines that I was able to access in just a quick search. This is how prevalent these types of crimes are. And I don't think people realize how often they are happening, how severe they are. And police know that these attacks have the propensity to escalate as well. And you can just hear this. Many of these groping attacks also have a violence component off the bat. He's brazen, doesn't even cover his face. Take a look at the security video. This was provided to us by the LAPD. They released just a little bit of this in one of the stores. He walks up to women who are unsuspecting, they're shopping, and then he just grinds his body up against them, sometimes from behind, sometimes in the front. The concern, of course, is not just that this is scaring women, but that this behavior could get much worse. He does not attempt to hide his face. He does not attempt to hide his identity. His calmness concerns us, and we do not want his behavior to escalate. A groper is on the loose in Federal Way. Police worry the attacker is gaining momentum and want to stop him before he does something worse. The man police are looking for targets women walking alone. Usually they're getting on or off buses. The victims are all petite. Girls as young as 14, the oldest victim was 46. His MO is he'll approach the victim from behind and then use one arm to control them and then grope with the other hand. Throughout Fairfax County for months now and has somehow escaped police. These attacks are becoming increasingly frequent and brazen. Tonight's took place about six in front of this apartment building. Another woman attacked. It's the tenth such assault by the same suspect since September. Police say they are so anxious to make an arrest because often in cases like this, the suspects become increasingly aggressive and violent. 22-year-old Bonnie Curry has a broken wrist, torn shoulder ligament, and deep bruising to her femur. She also has haunting memories of how she got like this, saying a strange man groped her and pushed her onto the subway tracks just after 4 a.m. Friday. A lot of the murderers that certainly I have studied and covered uh, throughout the last couple decades, some of them have started as gropers and moved on to much, much more horrifying things. You know, we actually encountered one of them um, with the Golden State Killer and somebody that was actually trying to use him as cover for M.O., uh, and then he escalated the tourniquet killer. Right. So the Golden State Killer at one point was the East Area Rapist Mm -hmm. in Sacramento um, between 76 and 79. At the time, a couple copycats were operating, trying to copy the M.O. to 
have it be assumed that they were this killer so they wouldn't be singled out necessarily. And there was a guy named the Tourniquet Killer. Wait, he, so he was a copycat of... Yes. Okay. So, well, in the 70s, he was. Did he, like... He copied the rape MO. Okay. Before he escalated to murder. Right. But before he was raping, he was a groper in the 70s and 80s. And he would generally prowl on women on bike paths and things like that and would grope. And clearly there's just an escalation here where he would do that and then he turned to rape single women and then he would rape the couples same way the Easter rapist did. Yeah. And then he escalated to murder and he was actually the first execution of 2018, which is interesting. Yeah. So he was just recently executed and there was a lot of weirdness surrounding his execution. The things he had like all these spontaneous utterances and said a bunch of weird stuff like right before he died yeah like he's strapped to the you know we'll have to do maybe a whole episode on him so stay tuned right and why'd they call him the tourniquet killer well because when he would suffocate his victims he would use like a bamboo stick or something to twist like a tourniquet to control the pressure on the victim's neck a toothbrush or a bamboo stick to tighten or loosen the ligature so this is clearly a very sadistic way of murdering because you know that he took his time with this and Mm -hmm. would loosen or tighten based on what was uh, getting his rocks off at the moment. So, yes. Groper. See, this is the thing. It's like there are a bunch of um, psychologists we researched for this episode that said they can't anticipate when a groper is going to escalate. But they sometimes do. Mm -hmm. There's a guy named Vernon J. Gerbeth, and he's an author and a former New York Police Department homicide squad commander. And he's written on this topic extensively. And he said uh, that gropers were found among the rich and the famous, politicians, athletes, actors, as well as, of course, the anonymous. And the personality of these people can run from introverted to reclusive to gregarious and extroverted. One thing that I thought he said was particularly poignant on this topic. And he said, quote, I can't tell you if every panty thief, peeping Tom, voyeur or groper will become a serial rapist. But in every lust murder or serial murder I have researched or investigated or heard of, there is a background of this activity in each offender's history. So that says quite a lot. You know, not every groper will turn into a sexual offender or murderer, but every single one of these lust murderers started as a sexual offender. So you really have to look at this behavior. It's it's terrifying. Clearly, Billy, we have no, another example. Andre Chikatilo, who was considered um, the Red Ripper. Yeah, this is a Soviet crime. I remember reading this book uh, as a college student, and he killed and murdered at least 52 women and children between 78 and 90 in Soviet Russia. And Soviet Russia, this was one of those deals where Soviet Russia did not want to admit that they had a problem because everything was supposed to be perfect in Soviet Russia. We'd cruise the train stations and then be able to find his victim and then, then do that and then bring them out into the woods and then kill them. You know, after his capture in, I think, in 92... You know, he talked about he had been doing this for 12 years, murder. He had cannibalism going on. And he started after he was fired as a teacher and he was fired for groping his students. And one of these incidents involved an encounter with there was a 15 year old student and he groped her breasts and genitals and he ejaculated as the girl was sort of struggling against his grasp. Months later, I think he sexually assaulted another teenage girl who had sort of locked in his classroom. So he was fired from that school for these two groping incidents. And then right after that, he was hired at another school where the groping of male and female students continued. And so this guy escalated to the nth degree because he became a lot of times you don't really hear about Chikatilo because he was Russian. But he's on, you know, for anybody that ever makes a top 10 list of serial killers um, that knows the worldwide serial killers, he's always going to be on there. That's insane. Well, he engaged in cannibalism, too. Yeah, right? yep, yep. He was like the worst. Another guy who deserves his own episode. Yeah, really. Gee, so, I've never even heard of him before. Yeah, he's terrifying. They're not the only two, obviously. There's also Wesley Dodd, and he was a Washington-based predator that graduated from relatively harmless acts of exhibitionism and groping to super sadistic child molestation and murder before he was caught. And as a child, he started with dabbling. You know, he would flash other children from his window. And that was when he was, like, a kid, That was when he was a kid. It's so so funny. This is totally, like, nature-nurture example of nature where it's like this is a kid and like that was not a learned thing yes and everything i read was that he came from a very normal upbringing and flashing other children from his window and then he graduated from exposing himself to much more aggressive actions like fondling groping children on the street and the groping continued and his fantasies became increasingly violent over the years 
diaries that resurfaced after he was caught indicated that he wrote about wanting to eat the genitals of his victims, things like that. And he eventually progressed from molesting to murdering, and he killed two brothers uh, named Cole and William Near. And then he transitioned to torturing and murdering, which he did to his third victim, Lee Zelli. After he was arrested for trying to abduct a boy from a movie theater, uh, the police went to his house and found a homemade torture rack in his home that had not been used. It hadn't been used. No, but it was perfected. Apparently it was very complicated and it was this really intricate device and clearly this botched abduction right that was meant to be His the first. person and this guy this guy wesley dot if you ever see some interviews with him they're horrific really? one of the kids um the kid ran away when he finally caught up with them the kid said i'm sorry like i'm sorry i ran away and it's the it's one of the most harrowing interviews what? i've ever seen with serial killers and i've seen a bunch i am not a proponent of the death penalty but i certainly you know shed no tears for this guy going down in 93 now to help us tell today's story we have a friend of mine here in the studio with us and he's going to walk us through his experience with a very bizarre case officer jordan marakian hi hi so tell us a little bit about your career in law enforcement first and foremost well i've been a police officer for 20 years Um, i started my career in san diego and then uh, a few years ago i left went to work for laguna beach pd for a while where i worked uh, major fraud was a detective there and then just recently, I transferred to the Seal Beach Police Department. So I've been up the coast. Yeah, you've certainly been in it. So what is your favorite part of being a cop? No day is the same. Yeah. Um, it's always different. You deal with people pretty much at their worst, sometimes at their best, but rarely. And uh, it's just an evolving career. And I, I couldn't tell you one day is the same as the next. Did you see any weird shit in Laguna Beach or was it just kind of chill because it was i probably saw the weirdest (laughs) shit in laguna beach uh, really out of the three yeah because you're dealing with people from different socioeconomic backgrounds but primarily wealthy people right uh who aren't used to hearing the word no Mm -hmm. and sometimes that uh involves a lot of salesmanship on my part to convince them that we're not going to take their trash out for them Mm -hmm. while they're on vacation (laughs) things like that but you, you do see a lot of weird stuff Uh, in this career. And I could probably write a book about half the stuff I've seen. Can you, and you're allowed to talk about all the things you don't send an NDA as a cop. (laughs) Nope. It's all public information. I mean, there are certain things I can't talk about, uh, domestic violence victims, sexual assault victims. I can't release their information. Right. Um, but for the most part, this is all public information and that's why journalists are filing public records, information requests left and right, because it, it is public information and police departments especially nowadays have to be more transparent about what it is that we're doing right well speaking of cases in orange county i know you have a very interesting one to walk us through today that was based in cyprus right correct okay so why don't you walk us through those it was involving a groper which is clearly a very terrifying kind of case, especially at random, these ones that happen when people approach you on the street. I know that the groping that we've discussed, the Trump stuff, whatever, these are people who know each other and there's some weird groping thing happening or right. it's initial meeting. What kind of groping is this? And walk us through this particular instance. This kind of groping involves more of a fetish. As I've learned in my career, there's fetishes for everything. I mean, there are people that are into all sorts of weird shit. Um, <laughs> that end up getting him arrested one day. Yes. Right. Um, so, I mean, I was a, a baby cop. I was 26 years old, probably about five years into my career. I was a police officer in San Diego at the time, but I received a phone call about a suspect uh, that the Cypress Police Department was looking at. He'd been involved in multiple incidents, but most recently an incident where he had gone into a park. Uh, It was at the intersection of Bloomfield and Ball Road. So if you're familiar, that's a very residential area. He approached a 12-year-old girl, asked her what time it was, and this is back when we had watches, watches, not Mm -hmm. our phones. And as I understood it, she looked down at her watch, uh, at which time he reached out and he groped her over the clothes. Um, So he essentially reached out and grabbed her chest. And then left, and that was it? Well, she screamed, and that caught the attention. As I said, there were residences around this park. Right. She screamed. He went running down the street, got into a white lowered Toyota truck. Uh, It was a very distinct truck, tinted windows. This is back when it was 
tool to like drop your truck and took off at a high rate of speed. The witness who called 911 thought it was a purse snatch. So he took down the license plate of the truck, gave the license plate to police officers. They responded, talked to the victim, and that's how the case kind of mushroomed out from there. See, I don't really understand, and maybe, you know, as a police officer, you can shed some light on this kind of groping, too. What's the payoff? Like, this is terrifying for, you know, but like... I mean, maybe because he said it's like a fetish thing. Yeah. It's like they get off on the fact that they're... I mean, I've interviewed child molesters. I've interviewed people that have committed crimes like this. And I guess the only relatable way that I can talk about... um, I wouldn't say it's a payoff, but it would be like if if you're into tall people or you're into short people, these guys are into groping. That's their thing. So if I were to guess, and I'm not a psychologist or a criminal profiler, but they do it and it gives them some sort of like sexual gratification. So maybe later on when they're home, they can relive it or, you know, it's just what they're into. Right. And I was doing research for this episode and I discovered that there's a word to describe this urge that people have to grope unconsenting victims. And it's called fraterism. Fraterism. Have you guys ever heard that word? No. I haven't. Heard. I have not heard that word. Me either. I've never heard that word. So that's is that like a, is the there psychological like term. sites online for fraterism? I don't know. This is just a psychological term that is commonly used in the psychiatric community. But, you know, and groping is generally either defined by these people as or considered to be sexual battery, sexual groping, or unlawful touching. And in some jurisdictions, groping is considered criminal sexual misconduct. And um, if there's no penetration, that is. So groping can vary from state to state. And, you know, the areas of the body, I guess, that are most frequently groped include the butt, the breasts, vulva, and thighs on a woman, and the penis and testicles and buttocks on a man. And they generally use their hands, but pressing any part of their body against another person is generally considered groping. And you have to kind of show that there is some sort of sexual gratification. That is one of the elements um, of it. When I say elements, like you have to prove as a cop that it wasn't like I walked by you and I accidentally bumped into you. Right. Or like you grabbed somebody's arm or something. It's intentional. It has to be what they would consider a private part. Yeah. And does the intent have to be sexual? No, it, it has to be uh, uh, grabbing a person's private parts without their consent. Mm-hmm. But there have been cases in the past where somebody smacks someone on the ass and they try and charge them with sexual battery yeah. and it just doesn't fly. Mm-hmm. It really all depends on Tone. each case. Because yeah. it's tone. It's like, you it know. It definitely is tone. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, if when you think about it, we forgot one big case because we were talking about, obviously, the president. That was the biggest one. That became the biggest narrative of the election. Right. We forgot about Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, Taylor Swift had that where a guy was having a picture taken with her and brushed his hand up against her ass. Right. And she sued. So would you say, though, that that was more about power, sexual gratification? I mean, that's that's where it really gets kind of gray. Yeah. Right. And that's why I was asking, is it more about because, we, you know, we always hear the term everything is about sex except sex. Sex is about power. You know, you always right. hear that being said with this. You would mention that if the touching was not necessarily sex, do you have to prove that in the court of law then that this was something that was for sexual gratification? If it was somebody that was rubbing their body up against even the side of somebody, say, because you see that a lot on subway cars, Mm -hmm. especially in New York City. It's a big problem. Right. And New York City actually just had a group of women, which I, sh- I, sh- I should have looked this up, but New York City has a group of women that have been going around the subway cars and trying to catch the people who are there, kind of like the like, vigilante like the vigilantes Good. that are after the gropers. I mean, it's not always hard to prove. Yeah. And, and like going back with this case, um, it was clearly obvious that, that the suspect here was doing it for some sort of gratification. It wasn't mm-hmm. just accidental. What compounded it, and I think what really got Cypress PD's attention is that he was doing it to somebody that was under the age of 18 and under the age of 14 for that matter. 12. 12 years old. Jesus. So confusing for a 12-year-old. And terrifying, like what you well, know, yeah, I mean, a grown I, man. Yeah, it, it's scary too because if that's happening to you from somebody that you don't know, it's like you don't know if they're trying to kidnap you or they're going to rape you or they have a gun. Right. Like right. that's what makes it so terrifying. And probably after with like PTSD or whatever from it, because it's like you have had no idea what was going to happen, and that's like the biggest invasion of privacy ever, especially as a child. Yeah, and the narrative is definitely opened up. I mean, but you can go to Coachella, you can go to concerts, and this happens mm-hmm. all day. Oh, yeah. It happens the- literally. I was just in Europe, and it happened like five times. Oh, yeah. This, I think we're talking about something different than that. Right. And 
this absolutely. is this is compulsion, right? A well, child and child, involved. yeah, the yeah. child. And another thing is that, like you said, Jack, are they going to do more? Like as a, as a kid, are they going to drag me into their car? Are they going to hurt me? Mm-hmm. That's got to be the most confusing and terrorizing situation. So eventually, it was revealed that he'd done this before, right? This particular perpetrator, right? Can you build on that? Well, yeah, the, and going back, I had mentioned I was a police officer in San Diego. So why am I getting a phone call about this, right? right. But I had a little bit of insight as to this uh, suspect's prior history. And I'm not talking about prior history as far as groping, just who he was because I'm from the area. I grew up in Los Alamitos, which is basically next door to Cyprus. So I got the call from this detective He told me that his suspect had admitted to it a number of times. And then during the interview, um, he dropped my name, which happens a lot. Dun, dun, dun. So when you get pulled over, if you know a cop or you're friends with a cop, people do it all the time. They'll say, oh, do you know Officer So-and-so? As if we're kind of all in the same room and we all know each other. There's thousands of us. Because they think they can, like, get out of the crime. Absolutely. Or get out of the, yeah. You know, it's like if you show up at a club and you're not on the wait list, you're like, oh, well. <laughs> Got to drop the name. So-and-so invited me here. You realize that now every one of our listeners is going to drop your name if you're inside <laughs> right. California. I know I am. I now have a friend. <laughs> well, be careful because there are some officers out there that don't like me. I'm sure that I used to train. I, I don't tried, believe that. I tried you to be nice. You are the best. I but, don't um, believe that for a second. But, yeah, I, you know, he calls me. He says, hey, I have this guy here in custody. Um, I'm just giving you a courtesy call because he's mentioned your name. The only other time that's happened in my career was an ex-girlfriend who was about to have her car towed. And I said, tow it. you know. But um, he dropped my name. And I said, well, who's your suspect? And it was Jason Marakian, my brother. Oh. oh. That's yeah. not the call you want to get. No. no. Especially Ever. At, especially oh at 26. Gosh. You know, my mother was still alive. Uh, Los Alamitos is a very small town. So if you see that name Marakian pop up in the local newspaper. It's it's not a John Smith. No. Everyone knows who it is. It's either Jordan or it's Jason. Right. And it's not me. (laughs) Thank God. Not only that, it's like this isn't a DUI. This is very dark. It's personal. Yeah. There's children involved. How did you react to this when you first were alerted to all this? I mean, obviously I was pissed off. I thought there must be some mistake. But then that very quickly changed because I had had some prior incidents with my brother, even when I was a teenager, where I just thought he was sort of off. Right. Uh, so I said, well, that's interesting. I don't know why he's dropping my name, but whatever you need, just let me know. And so the detective asked me kind of a little bit of a character history on, on my brother. Without going off into a tangent, he worked at Disneyland at the time. So, Oh, I know that was going to kill Billy. Wow. Oh. <laughs> So, he Billy. worked at he worked at Disneyland. Yeah, okay. I knew this was gonna what, kill. Billy is having an aneurysm. What, what did he What did he do at Disneyland? <laughs> what was his job? Do you he remember? He worked in the store that's attached to Space Mountain. Okay, so, so you get off the you ride. You've just had this magical experience through the stars. <laughs> And then you get off the ride and you're like, I've gotta I've gotta get something too. And obviously you always exit through the gift shop because Absolutely. that's yeah, that's how Disney does it. Right. And then you're like, I gotta get a t shirt, I gotta get a a, a figurine. You, and Mr. Groper is cashing you out. Yeah. You, Was there ever any incidents at no, Disney? No. And and But that's that's actually that's interesting because that's a buffet right there for him. Right. Potentially. Right. You know? And you'll find in a lot of cases, uh, especially sex crimes. People put themselves in positions where they're going to have access. Now, I don't know if that's what my brother did. Yeah, I was going to say, it does that seem I mean, like it's a likely It's cause. convenient. It's a convenient right. place of employment. But then he never got... Because I feel like Disneyland would be the place that if he was doing it, he would have gotten in trouble very fast. Absolutely. Maybe. Because Disney's got... They've got plainclothes detectives at Disney. They do. They, yeah. they do. They have cameras. Yeah, lots of cameras. But, you know, as you'll find out as we get into this... I've had women come into the police station to tell me they were sexually assaulted, and then the very next thing that they say is, I don't want to report it. I just needed to come down here and let someone know. Well, we're required by law to at least write a report, and then we write Jane Doe. Right. And it happened a lot when I was a police officer in San Diego. I worked at San Diego State, so I was a campus cop. And it happened a lot even in Laguna Beach. You have tourists come into town. 
They go to a nightclub. They meet someone. Something happens. Some unfortunate event happens, and they come in, and they say, look, I'm, I'm not even from here. I'm from Wisconsin. I'm from New York. I don't want to go through this, but you should know that this occurred. Do they usually give a name, or do they just say, this is a guy that, that I met at the club? No, it's just a guy that I met at the club, and they just, for, for whatever reason, they need to just get it off their chest, tell a police officer, let us know that it happened. Do and they usually do a rape kit, or do nope, they? they usually don't. Because so uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there about how those things happen, and there have been movies that have dramatized like the the experience of it. We try to make it as respectful as possible, but it's still a very invasive Absolutely, procedure. Yeah. So, you know, when I found out about my brother, I, you know, I sat on it for a while. I, I thought about calling my mother and letting her know. Uh, I eventually did, which was Ugh, a very tough phone it's like call. The worst phone call. You know, we found out that he had done it before. I mean, all to kids, kids, adults didn't matter. He didn't discriminate. Interesting. And what was he doing exactly? He would run up to them and grope them. I mean, he would grab them. And, you know, my friends crack jokes about it, of course. They're like, hey, is your brother going to jump out of the bushes and grab my sister? And at the time, you know, I understood what they were doing. It was an uncomfortable situation. They wanted to make light of it. But I didn't know. I mean, and I'll tell you, when I was a teenager, I didn't start dating until. 17 or 18, but there were times where I had my girlfriend over and he bust into my room, you know, just like, oh, sorry, wrong room. You know, it's like, dude, you lived in this house. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know what the right 18 room is. years, yeah. you know what the right room is. You know, so it really kind of just looking back on my childhood and when I was a teenager all the way into my 20s, there were a lot of times where I was just kind of like, huh. You know, things start to really add up when you find out mm-hmm. information like that. So the reason why I got involved, I wasn't necessarily – I obviously wasn't the lead investigator, but the detectives needed to know, hey, do you know anything? Is there anything you can provide us with that he's not saying that can lead us to more victims? And as hard as it was, it wasn't a hard decision. It was just a hard experience. I I gave them everything I knew Yeah. because he lawyered up. I mean he wasn't going to talk. He gave them just enough information. The hardest probably thing is going to be to talk to your mother. Were you able to talk to him? It took me a long time before I did talk to him. And what? how was that like? Well, he he stuck to his guns that this was purely because he was under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. For that reason, my mother felt bad for him. She mortgaged the house, got him a good attorney. He ended up doing time for it, uh, and he was a registered sex offender because of it. But I was waiting my entire early adulthood, I was waiting for that. I'm sorry that I did this to the family. I'm sorry that this happened, but it was always, I'm sorry about what they say I did. Right. So, Ugh. so he was, he was never owning it. He was never taking never, it. No. And so as far as, you know, the differences between rape and groping and do, does one lead to another one? Were you thinking that, were you thinking that if he hadn't been stopped, it could have led to something more? I've always felt that any addiction is a gateway to a new one. Part of that is because I'm a jaded, cynical police officer. But part of it is just, you know, at some point you get tired of doing the same thing. At least I do. Like if I have – it's a terrible analogy. But if I have pizza four days in a row, by day five, maybe I want mushrooms on my pizza or maybe I want a hamburger. Right. You know, so with my brother, I just go under the assumption that eventually he was going to graduate to something worse. Right. Because at some point, are you getting the same gratification out of doing the same thing for so many mm-hmm. years? Mm-hmm. They're going to get bored of it. And it's debatable. But I personally think that, you know, eventually, and I had always said, I made no secret about it. I said, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Mm-hmm. And I had always kind of felt that eventually something was going to happen. There was a sociologist who was quoted in a 2011 article in New York Times uh, named Scott Bond, who was a professor of sociology at Drew. And he said that there's differences between what motivates a groper and what motivates a rapist. And this is a quote from him. The rapist is driven by a desire to control, dominate, and even sometimes seriously injure a victim, whereas a groper's motivation is for sexual gratification through inappropriate touching and violating the victim. And uh, like you were saying, you know, a lot of times they will grope somebody and then run away and then do their business. You right. can, um, this is a theater of the mind here. You can figure out what we're talking about and, uh, you know, someplace else. But they also say that some gropers can move on to something more. Some, you know, it's like the, you know, one of the biggest things that's going on right now, like in the sex toy industry is 
those child sex dolls and they're saying there's oh. a big debate as to whether they will actually satiate a child molester and there's no freaking way that's going to happen because they're going to want to escalate and go to the Wait, next thing which is a live kid were they they're selling these for the reason of child molesters like to sell to what child? else do, what else would you do well i guess that's true well i have a question speaking of child molesters what was the worst thing about this for you because putting myself in your position if I could get past the weird fetish, if I could get past the groping, mm-hmm. children. Yeah. Does your brother have children? No. But he's married. Correct. But was that your main point of concern? Because the, do you call, is it pedophilia? I don't really know what you would label this. The child thing is what really throws it. It makes it seem very loop. dangerous. Yeah. Well, candidly, I think he chose his victims based on their vulnerability and not necessarily because they were children. I think I think being a child was a component of it because a 12-year-old may not haul off and hit you with the left hook mm-hmm. as quickly as a 25-year-old, right? I'm sure, though, that when he was choosing his victims, he chose them because their location, the opportunity, they were probably isolated, and the vulnerability. Yeah. You know, and, and it can be said that, you know, while pedophilia does go to being attracted to children... Part of it is also because, quite honestly, they're more vulnerable. They're less susceptible to being able to figure out what's going on because they haven't quite had that life experience. Mm-hmm. And they're also less susceptible to tell. That's what I was exactly. going to say, too. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because, right, I feel like if it were me, I was kind of a naive 12-year-old. I would just, Something weird just happened. I wouldn't you wouldn't, know it was you wouldn't sexual. register. Yeah. yeah I, some guy was just confused. Right. <laughs> I don't know that I would tell someone about that. I'd be just embarrassed that mm-hmm. someone grabbed me and just probably shame it away like I do <laughs> everything. <laughs> so a situation like this, he gets arrested and he admits to other situations where he's done the same thing to children. Well, he got arrested. The and, first time. Yeah, the first that's time. That's what I was going to get into. So, Jordan, tell us, these initial crimes were in 2000. Right. When was the next time your brother got in trouble? Wait, and he went to jail for this? Yes. And he was a registered sex offender. Correct. And tell us, I know you told me that you guys were on the phone during yeah. a trip. Yeah. Lay it all out for us. So, fast forward to 2016. I'm now on my way to Las Vegas where he lives. Uh, I'm going to see the Conor McGregor-Nate Diaz fight. And I call him. You know, we had had, uh, since the arrest in 2000, we had what I would refer to as a civil relationship. We'd sit there and have breakfast and really not say much to each other. But I call him and I said, hey, you know, I'm coming into town. I was with my girlfriend at the time. I'd like you to meet this person. And he said, oh, weird. I'm actually on my way to Orange County. In the entire time I've known my brother since he moved to Las Vegas, he was in Orange County maybe four times. Interesting. And I said, well, what are you doing going to Orange County? He said, oh, I'm, I'm going to Fullerton. I'm just going to get away for the weekend, you know, for my birthday. And my first thought was, who the hell goes to Fullerton? <laughs> Anybody that uh, hasn't and, been to Orange County, Fullerton is not and, a place to go. You know, your Fullerton listeners are probably going to MF me on uh, on your podcast. No, I think they would concur. But it's fine. The best thing in a Fullerton is like a Denny's. No, we, or love, the the, we love the burbs, but yeah. it's not a vacation destination. Right. No, it's not like you're going to Newport. Right. So I hung up the phone. I said, I actually said to my girlfriend at the time, I said, he's up to something. And I've always it's like you knew it was sketchy. I've always felt there was something sketch about him. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, hung up the phone, went and saw Conor McGregor lose his fight. And I get a call from my brother's wife. And she says, your brother's been arrested. I don't know what it's for. Can you call Fullerton PD and find out what's going on? Like, he's already dropped your name once. He can't do it again. Right. And I'm thinking, here we go again. And now... To compound it, I'm a detective at the Laguna Beach Police Department. Oh, this is man. in my county. Oh, no. Now, to back up really quickly, every time there's an arrest of interest in Orange County, the detective that handles it will send out what's called a tracker's bulletin. So we send it to all the agencies, and we put that mugshot right there, and we say, arrest of interest, oh, this man. person got arrested. So I'm already thinking, I'm a brand-new employee with Laguna Beach PD. <laughs> I'm now going to have to tell my command staff about this. And I can't believe he did this in my backyard. He drove from Vegas. Yeah, why did he do it there? Why did he do it in your backyard? That's so weird. I don't know why, but I can tell you my guess is that if he does it in my backyard and then he goes back to Vegas, they're never going to find him. Mm -hmm. Right. He's familiar with the area, maybe. So I call Fullerton PD. I end up talking to a detective, and he says, look, 
you know, this thing's kind of hot right now. I can't really tell you anything other than it's basically the same thing that happened in 2000. And we have him in the interview room. And I think the detective probably thought I was going to try and interfere somehow because that happens sometimes, Mm -hmm, you know. Police officers will call me when I arrest a family member and they'll get on the phone with their family member and say, don't talk. Yeah. And I said, no, same thing as with Cyprus. Whatever you need, just let me know. And ultimately, I ended up being a witness because he did call me. He did tell me he was on his way to Fullerton. I did have some background info on him. Well, and when they had him in custody, didn't he confess to a lot of other attacks? That's the scary part, yeah. How many? Uh, How many? 50 to 100 that he wasn't caught for. Oh, my God. Really? In Henderson, Nevada. Oh, so he was doing it in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. And what was his MO? Same as Same thing. Yeah. Did he always have a car? Like it, yeah, to, so, to run to? So like so weird. With the Fullerton one, I mean, he goes to Cal State Fullerton, parks in the parking structure. A college student, 21-year-old girl walks by, and he jumps out and he grabs her. And oh. then he takes off running. Wow. That is so weird. And, you know. It's, it seems very dangerous. Like, shocking. Like, it seems very. It's so different. Than, it's so different that, like, he could do this on a subway. I mean, I'm a kid thing from New York. Me and Alexis are from New York. On a subway, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. You could get away with that, and somebody would not even be able to see you because there's so many people. Oh, yeah. In, in the throng. And, and you wouldn't even it. think it's that well, weird. This is different. There's prowling. I know. This is prowling, and then this is grabbing well, somebody and it, really attacking somebody, freaking them. Out, even if they just jumped out of the bushes and said boo and then yeah. ran away, no, there's, right. a, psycho- exactly there's a psychological component that seems very dangerous. Yeah, right. and I know you know this, Jordan. I've run all this by you to make sure you're okay to talk about because this is a family member. It seems so scary, you know, and, and it they, does seem like it would escalate. escalate yeah, well, and, and it seems compulsive. Yeah, I guess for me as a family member and even as a cop, it's just why? Yeah, yeah, like, what's the like, point? Where's the payoff, right? I mean, it's like. <laughs> And also, like, what's the point? Right? Is this just what gets him off? Like, is that what it comes down to? Is and it that's his scaring them too. I don't. It's like, I yeah, don't know. it's just weird because it's like if it di- never did escalate after all those years, and he know. did it so many times, but it was well, always the same kind of thing. Like, that's what's strange. And well, that's the big, the biggest question. Not to make light of of, of the, the hundred attacks, but I think the biggest question right after them is that: Do you think it ever escalated? Yeah, I do. You do. I do. And and here's the problem. And again, I'm going to preface this. You're talking to somebody who's a little bit cynical. Having dealt with victims of sexual assault, having dealt with victims of all kinds of crimes, people, for them, it's one thing to be a victim. It's a totally different thing to have the strength and the courage to walk into a police station, tell a complete stranger what just happened to you. Mm -hmm. Sexual assault, one out of four report it. I mean, I don't know the latest statistics, but I know when I was investigating sex crimes at San Diego State, one out of four. Yeah. So you think about it, you know, and with and I don't want to paint the picture that my brother's a serial rapist. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is a strong likelihood that it escalated or he may have thought about escalating it. Now his DNA is in a system called CODIS. So mm-hmm. had it gotten reported and DNA was found, he would have been arrested for it. But who knows? I mean, who knows if it was even reported? Sure. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like there's a lot of unknowns out there. I mean, I, I would love to sit down with him and ask him why, but I know that the answer I would get would piss me off so badly that I'd want to put him through a wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I mean, my brother and I are nothing alike, even physically. Like, you've seen mm-hmm. pictures of him. We look nothing alike. I used to joke that my mom had an affair <laughs> and with either my dad or his dad, but that's not the case. We are related. <laughs> So, you know, I don't know. But do I think it escalated? I I think if it didn't, it came pretty damn close. Mm -hmm. There's just no way that it didn't. It's something pathological. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it goes way beyond some guy that grabbed Taylor Swift's ass. Yeah, and and that's the thing. He's in the bushes staring at playgrounds. It mm -hmm. just seems dangerous. I don't know. And to not be introspective enough in those moments where he's doing this What the hell is wrong with me? Because it is that weird. You don't know what this person with this pathology is capable of necessarily. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. 
But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun. FX's new international spy thriller The Veil starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge. Inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Did he have regular relationships? He's been married. He's Since been married. 1999. And what does his wife think? Well, we obviously can't speak for her. She but, thinks yeah. that he, well, I can speak for her. I told her. <laughs> He's like, screw it. I called her and I said, what the hell? And, and I didn't say hell. I said a different word. What the heck? What the heck? <laughs> and she said he needs to pray more. Oh, pray it away, Jason. God. Pray it away. It's just you know, like we're, we're, we're not, I, I don't want to offend your religious listeners, but Jesus is not going to help my brother. There are things going on with him that, you know, I don't care how much therapy you've had. I don't care how much introspection you've had or your rock bottom moment. If you're addicted to something, you're always going to be addicted to it. When people say that they're sober, I applaud them for that. But the true people that talk about sobriety say it's a daily struggle. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, so it's not like one day you wake up and go, wow, that was wrong. I shouldn't have groped that girl. I'd never want to do that again. That's his thing. So where is he right now? He's living in Las Vegas. And he's a registered sex offender. Yeah. So what does that mean in terms of um, Wait, did what he, things cannot happen for him? Also, did he go to jail after the he, second time? Yeah, he went to jail for almost a year and a half. Okay. I was going to say, what's the sentence usually like for like a groping? And what is that considered if you get arrested for it? Sexual, sexual assault? Sexual battery. Sexual, sexual it's, battery. It's, it's state to state. It's different. It's yeah. a misdemeanor. 
Okay. That's you still know. a misdemeanor, yeah. yeah. Over the clothes is awful. a misdemeanor. Over the clothes is a misdemeanor. Yeah, so what he did to the girl in Fullerton, that was a misdemeanor. If it was a child, though, it would have been a felony. It was. A, it was. In Fullerton? In no. Fullerton, no, it wasn't. Oh. Yeah. Right. Was it a college girl? College girl. Was this a trial, or did he just play? He knew, like, I better plead to this right now. Right. And what they did is they gave him the maximum allowable sentence that they could, which was a little bit under a year and a half. But all they had was that one case. They didn't have multiple victims. It's not a crime to go in and admit to 5,200 incidents. You're not going to get charged if you don't have a victim. Mm -hmm. So my theory is that during that year and a half, they were actively searching for other victims, and they just didn't find any. And Jordan, I want to ask, how did your family react to this, your parents? Well, the first time, because my parents both passed away in 2012. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, six months apart. So the, when this happened back in 2000, I think my mother really wanted to believe that he didn't do it. I just played along with that. I didn't want to come into the house and be like, let me tell you what really happened. Thanksgiving dinners were super awkward because I would just sit there and glare at him. From yeah. I'm sure. Um, That's nice of you, though, to do that for your mom. I know. I'm yeah. sure a mom's in huge denial. They don't want to accept that. Oh, yeah. Son. You are an amazing person. Well, she probably you. is a good mom. She's a great mother. Self-blame and all oh, this. Yeah. Oh, she yeah. It's, and she was dealing with that other it's thing nature. that we talked about. So. Which we want to... Will you share yeah. the other thing with us? My career has been kind of strange in that I started out working for a campus because no one would hire me. I was 21. I was a baby when I started. I worked on a college campus where there was something very commonly known as cruising. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. So, well, Billy's not familiar, but he's <laughs> well, also familiar. explain. I'm familiar cruising. with the term. I'm also familiar with the with the yeah. Al Pacino the, movie. Yeah. Yeah. Explain yeah. cruising to our listeners. So, so, cruising is essentially when two men meet up in a public area, typically a restroom, to engage in in sex, and the sex typically is anonymous. That's where the term glory hole came from. You have one person in one stall, another person in another stall. There's a hole in between, and you can imagine what happens after that. I have a question about this. Before, sure. like, the apps and stuff, how would two people find each other? That's a great question. Um, they would literally write on the stall wall. Oh, it's like the number. Yeah, meet me here, meet me here between. Billy's like, yeah, I remember yeah, it well. Where, yeah, that's, that's yeah. where that came from. That's, and, and, you know, before I knew what cruising was and I was just a, a regular cop, I walk in and it's like, meet me here for oral sex between two and three. I'm like, how come this never happens, like... <laughs> real life. But no, in in all seriousness, I walk into the bathroom and you would see it on the stall wall. Five foot eight, 215 pounds, beautiful frat boy looking for men between the ages of 18 and 21, between two and 3 p.m. That's how they did it before Craigslist, Tinder, Bumble, and all the apps that are out there, Grindr. So here I am, I'm just this new cop trying to make a name for myself. And I walk in to a restroom And I see it, and I don't know the first thing about it. Well, that particular day, San Diego PD uh, came in, and they said, hey, we're doing a decoy operation, and we need volunteers. And I didn't know what they were talking about. So I I raised my hand, and this detective is like, okay, you know, you're our guy, right? Now, at the time, I was probably about 50 pounds lighter. I had spiky hair. This was in the late 90s, early 2000s, so I had frosted tips. Oh, hell yeah. The Mark McGrath. I was a a boy band member. (laughs) I call my mother. I'm like, Mom, I'm working undercover. (laughs) All excited. I'm going to be dealing. I'm going to be slinging dope on the street. I'm going to be doing all this stuff. (laughs) That is kind of exciting, though. Yeah, absolutely. And so I show up to work the next day, and they take me to a park, and they're like, okay, this is what we're doing. And it was cruising. And I found myself basically at the college and also throughout the city going into restrooms and being propositioned by other men. Restrooms of what? Home Depot, JCPenney, City College, San Diego State. Oh. It goes on everywhere. Oh, I thought it was like at like certain like bars or something. No, it is- you, you will... Never look at restrooms the same again if I tell you what to look for. It's happening everywhere. Still? Oh, yeah. Still with the writing on the walls? Not necessarily. It's more... Tindery? Yeah. It's more more like Craigslist. Less analog, more... Yeah. Yeah. The op ended. I did one at the college, and then I realized, holy crap, my dad got arrested for this when I was 13. Like, you can't make this stuff up. 
So my dad, and I'm not ashamed to say this, my dad was gay. It's unfortunate how he was forced to come out because he was arrested for cruising. Mm. So the Buena Park Police Department arrested him over near Knott's Berry Farm. I was 13 at the time, and he called and said, put your mother on the phone, and the marriage ended right there. My mom mom was like, we're done. So my dad, because he wasn't openly gay, had to cruise. And I found myself, after this op ended, kind of feeling sorry for these guys, mm-hmm. you know, because most of the men I was arresting were straight. They were, quote, unquote, uh, straight their men. Lives oh, just, shit. Yeah. You know. So it was a huge kind of conflict that I dealt with until one of the detectives pulled me aside and he said, look, we're not doing this to target the gay community. We're not doing this to shame people. We're doing this because kids are coming in here to use the restroom homophobic individuals are coming in here to use the restroom. We're doing this to protect people from participating in this activity. I mean, one of the guys was HIV positive. If the wrong person goes in at the wrong time, you could have something worse on Mm -hmm. your hands. Mm -hmm. But I found it incredibly ironic that I, quote unquote, made a name for myself on the police department, arresting the very same individuals that my father was involved with. So when your father got arrested and you were 13, right. what did you know about that arrest at that age? And I knew everything. Oh, you did? So my you... mother was full disclosure. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So my first, I mean, I hadn't even been in a relationship yet. And she said, you know, this is what your dad got picked up for. Now, he said he was framed. And at the time, I wasn't a cop. So I was like, maybe he was. And as I got into law enforcement, you hear, you remember that senator that got arrested at the airport years ago? I don't yep. know if you remember. The, the, with one, the foot tap. Yes. Yep. So when with he, the what? The foot tap. Foot tapping is a signal that they give before they engage in it. What? Like where? Because they they you're into two different stalls. Yeah, they so sit on the toilets wow. and they tap their feet like, hey, I'm here. And it lets you know that that person is And then down. you go into one stall? Two. With the hole? Yeah. What if they don't have a hole in the stall? Then you go into one stall, I guess, but typically there's a whole. I want to know logistics. <laughs> yeah, so it's, you know. <laughs> this is how much of a feminist Jack is. Jack's like, there's going to be a hole somewhere in this, this equation. Yeah, so, you know, it's not something that I'm ashamed of. It's, I feel bad that my father was outed that way, but. Yeah. You know, in the long run, it definitely created some tension between he and I because that's what I was doing mm-hmm. for an assignment for a few months. So how did you feel about when you started doing that assignment and you knew that that was what your dad was arrested for? Like, did you feel guilt or? It didn't even dawn on me until it was over. Oh, yeah. Oh. I didn't even. Th- all I was thinking is I got to. Well, it's probably gotta, it was like a total defense mechanism. I don't know. In his brain. If you realize it after. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it like a young budding police officer. It was an opportunity as a non-psychologist. Just, uh, With your professional opinion. My non-professional opinion. Yeah. Like, it didn't occur to you till after, but it did occur to you. It occurred, yes. Subconsciously. So, yeah, I think it's that you didn't want it to occur because you wanted to do a good job. I wanted to do it, You take yeah. your job seriously. Yeah, and I did. I mean... I was a good-looking guy at, well, in 2000. Not, not so okay. much now, but I was a skinny little, like, frosted tip, teeth-whitened guy. Pick. Don't be modest. <laughs> Wait, okay, so when you were doing this, though, you were in the park? You didn't actually go to a bathroom? I went to the bathroom. Oh, you did go yeah, to the bathroom. Balboa Park. But, yeah, they nicknamed me Bait, which was oh, – I, I never lived that down. That's but, your new nickname for our friendship. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so. my, my now friendship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you know, Group I mean, so, so, so for listeners, if they just say Officer Bait, that won't, that won't yeah. work, or that won't, that won't work, work, that won't or work. Or Bateman. But you know, I, Officer Bateman. I, I mean, yeah. in all seriousness, this has nothing to do with the gay community. Yeah, my no, father being gay, you know, it's like Kevin Spacey when he had that horrible statement that he released. Oh after God! He, it's like, dude, you're a pedophile. <laughs> being gay does not. This is not make the time to come out. Right. <laughs> so um, it was just a very. Uh, weird time for me yeah you know i was dealing with my brother getting arrested i was cruising not really and (laughs) then undercover cruising yeah and then 16 years later i'm a detective or 15 years later and i'm dealing with my brother all over again god yeah you've been through some like what are the chances and did you talk to your dad about that assignment no i never did Mm. yeah i I, you know my son the words i'm gay didn't come out of my father's mouth until right before he died really he never really you know i'd go to his house in in vegas and he would have he lived in vegas as well he'd have pictures of like muscular cowboys all over the apartment (laughs) i'm like dad it's okay yeah 
He's like, no, 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 I'm, you know, I have a friend that stays art. with me. Yeah, he's like, you know, it, those are his posters. Yeah, he was yeah. just, I mean, my dad was a Catholic Armenian. Mm-hmm. So it, it was like the double sword. You can't mm-hmm. admit something like that, especially growing up when he grew up in his era. I mean, he was born in 1932. Yeah. Being gay was not acceptable. Yeah. That's really an incredible story. So we've got those... Uh, you were connected to two, which, mm-hmm. which, which right. is a double uh, uh, for us here and on the first degree. So first wild. degree from two. And, you know, when it comes to groping, though. Whether or not you know something is going to escalate, if it is going to escalate and they do get caught in their groping stage, they go to jail for what? A year, maybe? It's yeah. like, is that really going to change anything, like, at the end? Like, is that going to make them stop groping and stop escalating? Like... I don't know. And we have here listed on our outline from the research we did red flags that one could possibly point out. But these red flags that I'm seeing are most of the people I've dated in my entire life. (laughs) So sexual entitlement. Yeah. Join the club. Unwanted touching. Everyone in every country. Persistence. Everyone I've ever dated. Isolation. (laughs) Yeah. Guys who like you try to get you alone. So we meant to initially, you know, this is going to be red flags, but they're really not red flags. Yes, they're not. And they're up for interpretation. And there's going to be a myriad of, you know, facets that affect whether or not you feel any danger from any of Mm -hmm, these, you mm -hmm. know? So it's like, it's very difficult. And that's why I think. It's like the grayest area ever. So gray because some of this sounds like flirtation to me, (laughs) (laughs) which might be my problem. And some of it, you might have an alpha male. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and as far as seeing one of those red flags, oh, if they want to just get you alone, then that's not necessarily going to be that bad, especially if you want to be alone with them. But if you add up all four, especially the unwanted touching, I think that's the biggie right Unwanted there. touching, I feel like, is the actual red flag in this situation. Well, right. That's the thing. Like, people talk about groping. It falls either way. This person could never escalate or they could. You mm-hmm. know, it is like an indicator of someone grappling with some psychological propensity. Uh, to get back to your brother and we were talking about, did they give him any therapy, your brother? No. And no, I mean, see, that's, yeah, it's, that's uh, well, the crazy thing. There's therapists that are paid by the county that are in prisons, but what kind of quality therapy are you getting from that? Right. You know, I'm looking at these indicators, and it's funny because people have always said, like, how, how can you tell? Like, because we don't have a crystal ball. And there's always that kind of, if you ask people, like, even when you're asking me about my brother as I'm sitting here thinking about it, there were certain things that just didn't seem right. He just seemed off. He just seemed off. But being off is not against the law, Mm-mm. right? So it was like, well, how do we know? I mean, I, I will say that there was a heavy use of porn when we were teenagers, but we're also teenage boys, right? So a lot of teenage boys are looking at porn. I had a question about that that I just remembered. Did they search his computer or anything for like child porn? There's only so far that they can go. We're sitting here talking about groping and obviously some of the victims were under 18, under 14, but the correlation between being a child sex predator and being a groper, there's a big gray area Mm -hmm. because the victims were all ages. I can't sit here and say that my brother was a child sex predator. I can say that he's a sex offender, Mm -hmm. right? I can say that there were certain indicators, but then again, he had healthy relationships with girlfriends in high school all the way up until when when he was married. So, you know, my unqualified theory is that there's just something in his brain that's that on-off switch. It's on when it should be off. Yeah. You know, there's just something that's not working. And it may sound to the listeners, even if my brother hears this, that I'm throwing him under the bus. But when you've had a certain amount of time to get right with yourself and you haven't gotten right with yourself, the 2000 incident, I, I was telling Alexis, I won't forget it. I can move past it. I won't even forgive it. But once you do it again, you can't go back and say that that was a one-off thing. Uh, you know better. Come right. On. Well, admitting to between 50 and 100, that's a big, that's margin, a big margin also, too. What so do you he, think he was doing it this the whole time in between? I think he's two? been doing it forever. Some, yeah. And, you know, there's research out there that says serial killers start out abusing animals, right? Mm-hmm. So you can point to all these things. I mean, me personally, I just look for those weird indicators, those weird things about people that just don't seem to add up. Well, also, 
you know, one of the biggest things that we talked about here as a takeaway is if you are a victim of somebody jumping out of the bushes and groping you, you got to report it. Got to report it. You got to report it. As hard as it is. As hard as it is, report it and make sure, you know, obviously it's going to be one of the most traumatic moments of your life, but try to get as many details as possible because there's a good chance that this guy has done this before and do it again. And then there is that other chance that it could. And the sad reality is, and I'm going to say it, I, I feel like I've earned the right to say this. I hope that the people that do report it run into a police officer that cares enough to pay attention Mm -hmm. because in every police department, in every county, there are certain cops that are retired on duty. And if you get one of those officers, ask to see another one. That's well within your right. Not all of us are dedicated to what we do. Some of us are just there to collect a check. And every police officer knows who those officers are. And when they get dispatched to certain calls, we all kind of sit back and go, okay, this is going to be a half-assed investigation. Yeah. You know, so. But you know, that's not unusual. That's every profession. Every profession. There's, there's complacency yeah. everywhere. Right. So, but it just sucks. Like within, like a, it's like sure. you're supposed to tr- trust a cop and think yeah. that they have your. Back, I always especially. say that every profession you have good people and bad people. Right. It's just that the margin of error really is a lot, a lot smaller. But when, but when think cops. about it, if you sure. blow yeah, this off. Be. Like I always used to tell my trainees, if you blow this off and don't treat it like it's important, if the woman comes in and says my boyfriend was beating me. And you say, well, you know, that sucks. Um, I'll just take a half-assed report. And then three weeks later, the boyfriend kills her. Mm -hmm. And you didn't at least suggest getting a restraining order or maybe even follow up and arrest him. Right? Yes. Do you want that on your conscience for your career? No. I don't. No. So, you know. You have a hard job. Well, you know, I I have a lot of hobbies. (laughs) It keeps keeps me sane. But, you know, with... With my brother, and I don't know how we're doing on time, but with my brother and, and my father, those two, I want to reiterate, totally separate. Yeah, right? of course. Absolutely. It's not genetic. Yeah. I don't believe. My brother has dealt with a lot of problems in his life. He was bullied, and he had some drug and alcohol, substance abuse issues, but none of that gives him a pass. Mm-hmm. Right? None of it gives him a pass. We've all had hard shit happen to us, right? But my hope for him, because we're not speaking anymore, uh, as of last year, he actually called me and said, I, I can't have a relationship with you anymore. And I was like, well, he made it easy on me. I don't know why he did that. But if he called me tomorrow, I'd talk to him. He's still my brother. Mm-hmm. But I can't trust him. I don't have kids. But if I ever have kids, there's oh, no way in hell. hell no. Sorry. You will not be anywhere near him. Yeah. It's a sad reality, you know. I mean, I'm already super protective over people I care about. I can only imagine what would happen if I had kids running around. You were super courageous for chatting with us about it. You've been so candid with me. He told me this on the set of a show very candidly. I was almost protective of him telling me about it because I didn't want to exploit your story. I appreciate it. But being candid about this is so helpful because given how prevalent these kinds of crimes are, these people are in people's families. Oh, yeah. You're in law enforcement, which the implications are even greater. I mean, these people are baseball coaches, cops, doctors. Disneyland employees. Look at Dr. Nasser over at MSU. (laughs) Oh, God. Right? My life, unfortunately, has turned into this person who walks around all day giving everyone a second and third look. Well, yeah. Why are you volunteering as a baseball coach? (laughs) Why are you working at Disneyland? (laughs) Without kids. (laughs) No, there was a thing in the same article where these indicators that most of the men I know have, it says it's like there was a whole other section about how to spot someone who may be leaning towards child molestation, volunteering for activities involving kids without having kids. Right. Yeah. It's, Which is weird. Yeah. It's weird. Wanting to be a baseball coach to volunteer for Little League without having your own kids right. is odd. No, it's the same thing why I think that adults that are obsessed with Disneyland that don't have kids are weird. Billy has kids, so you're well, out. I know. Billy. I had kids specifically, so I can go to Disneyland. <laughs> well, even weirder, Billy. If people complain about how expensive Disney costs, believe me, you haven't seen, you know. I'm good Disney, for one of these Billy has a monorail tattoo for all of you. I know. You told me. <laughs> Billy. Well, I'm looking at this list. I, I am persistent. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do the unwanted touching the sexual entitlement <laughs> there you go exactly it's so fine it's you, just you like want most, to take out all of the it's uh, like it, all the most of these are just men general i do want to say though forget this list like we said about these crimes it's tone yeah so for those of you listening it's tone look at 
someone's behavior and it's not necessarily it's like circumstantial what it is on paper. It's how does it feel? You always thought something was odd about your brother and you could maybe never put your finger on it. And now retrospectively, it obviously makes sense. Of course. And look out for some of these, not even red flags that are given to you in these stupid articles, but trust your feelings trust your gut, and report something. Even if it seems very minuscule, right? You could be Absolutely. saving somebody I think, else I as think, well. I think that's the biggest takeaway yeah. is that as, as hard as it might be to report it. So if you happen to catch one of these weird behaviors. You never know who you could be stopping. That's like we always say. Take note of the people around you. After all, only you can prevent serial killers. Only you he took the tagline out of my mouth. <laughs> Anyways, we're trying this new tagline. Do you like it? Only you can prevent serial killers. They're going to love it. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree. At Alexis Link's Link Letter. <laughs> Another Alexis Linkletter running around. <laughs> I'm the only Jensen. one. I don't know. Do you have an Instagram that you want people to follow? Jordan's going to be famous, by the way. He's yeah, playing obviously. himself on a TV show. For CBS. You'll, you'll have to stalk Alexis's followers to find In, me. There you go. It's at Enforcer. Close. Enforcer Fullback 44. Enforcer that is such fullback a cop 44. Instagram, and I love it. <laughs> that is the, the name itself terrifies me. Well, yes. it was a football team that I played for up until two years ago. It was a semi-pro football team it's in San Diego. terrifying, and I love it. Yeah. It's so, so scary. Follow Jordan yeah. and watches. Uh, Google him. He rescues dogs. I know it's so great. I it's need to see this. Yes. Um, Trying to be a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> also follow me at Jack Vanek. And thank you, Jordan. Thank That's you. it. Thanks for coming. Only you can prevent serial killers. Some lines in this podcast were quoted directly from Murderpedia: "Doctor knows guide to serial killers in the Independent." Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.